Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to follow the link in the description after today's episode for more information about today's article and to claim CME credit. This podcast is brought to you by PrimeMed. Nathan is a 52-year-old engineer who comes in for follow-up of his diabetes. He's had type 2 diabetes for two years and has been on metformin. During that time, he has diligently tracked his blood sugars. However, he's not exercising very much, and while he tries to avoid sugar, his total caloric intake remains higher than his needs, and as a result, he continues to gradually gain weight. Recent blood work shows that his A1C is at 8.6%. You discuss this with him, and it is agreed that he likely needs a second medication. He said that he heard about a new medication that can really help him lose weight and improve his A1C, and he wants to know if it's an option for him. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me to discuss new medications for type 2 diabetes is Dr. Alan Ehrlich, Associate Professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the UMass Chan Medical School and the Executive Editor of Dynamed. Hi, Alan. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me today. Sure thing. Ah, yes, poor Nathan. He he needs some help. So let's review medication choices for treating type 2 diabetes when patients do not reach their glycemic goals with metformin. So when you're going to add on a medication to metformin, there are a number of factors to consider, including the efficacy of the medication, its impact on weight, potential side effects, especially hypoglycemic risk, Uh, cost and insurance coverage issues, and patient preference, whether uh, they're willing to do an injectable or they only want oral medication, that type of thing. If the patient is known to have coronary artery disease or is at high risk for coronary artery disease or or chronic kidney disease, if they have that, uh, second-line agents should generally either be a a glucagon-like peptide, one receptor agonist, GLP-1, or the sodium glucose cotransporter 2, SGLT2 inhibitors, one of those. And if they have heart failure, then the SGLT2 is the preferred next option. That's because these medications have been shown to improve cardiovascular outcomes regardless of the change in hemoglobin A1C. If someone's opting for a injectable medication, the GLP-1 Receptor agonists are often preferred over insulin because they can lead to weight loss rather than weight gain, and they don't have the hypoglycemic risk of insulin. Other options to consider would be sulfonylureas or the DPP-4 inhibitors. Recently, the FDA approved a new drug, terzepatide, which has a new mechanism of action as well. So, wow. Uh, I've heard a bit about terzepatide. Can you tell me how does it work and and what's the scoop? Sure. Uh, Terzepatide is a dual glucose-dependent insulinotropic peptide, or GIP, and GLP-1 receptor agonist. These two hormones that it's simulating are incretin hormones, and these stimulate the release of insulin, reduce hepatic glucose production, and decrease glucagon production. So terzepatide is acting like the GLP-1 receptor agonist, and it also has a secondary effect on the other hormone. And both of these have beneficial effects on 
reducing uh, hemoglobin A1c. There were five randomized trials showing that terzepatide at varying doses of 5, 10, and 15 milligrams all reduced hemoglobin A1c by about two percentage points. In addition, there was significant weight loss. At the 10 milligram dose, about 40% of the uh, study participants lost 10% of their body weight, wow. which is that that's a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, you, so you're saying if someone is weighing 250, that's losing 25 pounds. The prescription starts at 2.5 milligrams subcutaneously once weekly, and then you increase to 5 milligrams subcutaneously once weekly after about four weeks. If you need to keep going, you titrate in 2.5 milligrams once a month uh, with a maximum dose of 15 milligrams uh, subcutaneously. The higher the dose, the more the side effects, and side effects are uh, often GI-related. So I was just getting good at getting prior authorizations on GLP-1 agonists um, by telling uh, the the uh, pharmacy uh, devils that the patient had type 2 diabetes and was at very high risk for cardiovascular disease. Sometimes I'll even put their their uh, risk scores in my in my uh, application to try to get it. So the while the terzepatide sounds awesome and sounds like a wonderful drug to order, um, how does it cost and how does it compare to other options? So it costs a lot. That's the first thing. Um, the uh, it, It's still relatively new. And so pricing tends to be in flux, but the retail price was set at about $12,000 per year a little over $1,000 a month. Now, that sounds like a lot of money because it is, uh, but it's comparable to semaglutide, uh, a GLP-1 receptor agonist and another diabetes drug that has been helpful with weight loss. Um, by comparison, the SGLT2 inhibitors, the DPP-4 inhibitors, they go for about 600 a month. And glimepiride, which is a third-generation sulfonylurea, which is somewhat safer than some of the earlier ones, uh, tends to run between fifteen and thirty dollars a month. So that's your spectrum. Um, the The amount the patient pays, of course, is going to vary. But I expect that this is going to have prior authorizations. And one of the things that the insurance companies will have to sort out is, well, what exactly are the criteria for the prior authorization? What has to be tried first? Given that it's comparable to some of the uh, other injectable drugs. I suspect it'll be a similar process. Do you do they have any other advantage like the GLP-1 agonists that you can say, oh, gee, they have heart disease, they have kidney disease, or anything that you can use when you're trying to apply for prior authorization? Uh, that hasn't been proven yet. I suspect those studies will get done, but as you can imagine, they take longer to do. Um, one point I, I neglected to mention, but there is a black box warning on this drug uh, there's an increased risk of thyroid uh, cancers, and at least in rats, uh, and is contraindicated in people with a personal or family history of medullary thyroid carcinoma, or if anyone has MEN syndrome type two. So that that's something to keep in mind. Not not all that common, but um, but worth noting. 
Well, let's take this real world. So Nathan's sitting here. Uh, what do you think you're going to choose? What are you going to offer next to Nathan to add to his metformin? So I think, first of all, one thing we didn't discuss in the early part of this case is reviewing uh, Nathan's cardiovascular risk profile. Uh, so if he is, um, if he turns out he is high risk based on, let's say, a, a CV risk calculator, uh, then that might uh, push us towards uh, a GLP-1 receptor agonist. No history of heart failure. So I think that the SGLT-2 um, isn't as indicated, but certainly a reasonable choice. And if cost is a significant factor, um, we could go in that direction or with something like glimepiride. I do think that losing weight uh, would be important for him. And because of that, if insurance will cover it and he's willing to use an injectable, then I think terzepatide or uh, a GLP-1 receptor agonist would both be reasonable choices. Yeah, I tend to agree. I, I think uh, it'll be kind of interesting to try this new drug. I'm, I'm going to wait to see if how difficult it is to get a prior auth on it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to these expanding treatments for type 2 diabetes, those that cause weight loss. That's, to me, seems like the ultimate goal. While getting an A1C down, helping someone lose weight, lower their blood pressure, lower the risk for fatty liver disease, improve kidney function, all those things certainly seem like benefits of these new drugs. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to that, that spectrum increasing while we use less and less short-acting insulin or, or other agents that don't have those benefits. You know, I agree with you, Frank. And I just want to say one of the things that seems to be the case with these drugs is that some of their benefit for reducing hemoglobin A1C seems to be tied directly to the weight loss itself, which uh, you know, decreases insulin resistance. Yeah. So I, I agree with all the points you made. All right, Alan, thanks so much. Thanks, Frank. Practice pointer. Terzepatide is effective for lowering hemoglobin A1C in patients with type 2 diabetes and can also help them lose weight. Join us next time where we discuss the latest guidelines on the use of aspirin for the primary prevention of cardiovascular disease. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim CME credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, follow the link in the description. To stay up to date on the most recent clinical research and news, please subscribe to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine and be sure to check out PrimeMed.com for additional CME content.